Episode 31, the pandemic special double feature, COVID-19 raining from the heavens like Nurgle's rot falling around us all the time. Welcome to Crew Shake and a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in and around, sometimes farther around, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the United States. As always, I am your host, Tim, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Lavelle and Carlo. Good evening, gentlemen. Evening, Tim. Good evening. I say farther and farther afield from Philadelphia because Lavelle is currently calling in from Macon, Georgia. He is down there from work. So this might be the, the, the farthest spread of forces that we have had as, while we're recording an episode of Crew Shaken. So thank you for making the time tonight, Lavelle. How are things hey, down there no in Georgia? Problem. You know, they've got a game store called Primetime Gaming that just strange locations. You know, I scout out the game stores no matter where I am. Oh, definitely. They're not open yet. They're still mid-move, and I'm, I'm pretty upset about that. They're not open just yet. That's too bad. Not That's yet. too bad. I'm waiting for them. I drive by there almost every day, slowing down, creeping by. Are they open yet? I wonder if it's, they're probably delayed from the, from the outbreak. No, I think they're doing construction. You know, once when, when Red Caps, our store in Philly, when they moved, and I just happened to peek my head in mid-move, you didn't. Re- I didn't really consider all of the work that's associated with moving a store. Oh yeah. So man, that did you see like when? Real- did you see when Gamers Heaven just moved like two two storefronts down? That was like so much work for them. Oh yeah. It's months. Yeah. Well, let's hope all these places are still around by the end of this. Yes, yes, we need them. <laughs> yeah, in the last in the last episode, you know, we had talked a little bit about trying to support, you know, our local gaming stores through this uh, this crisis. And even if the retail storefront near you is closed, you know, maybe shoot them a message on Facebook or give them a call. You know, seeing if they are still, you know, selling stuff out the back door, so to speak. Are they taking pre-orders? <laughs> are they taking pre-orders now for stuff that's about to come out? You know, are they taking orders and getting stuff in for when the the fever breaks, so to speak? So I think hey, now. Can you Grubhub paints? I wish. I wish. I wish. <laughs> I wish. But I think now, you know, now it's more important than ever to kind of gather around the businesses. They're a big part of our community of hobbyists and gamers, and you know, make sure that they're going to be there when the storm breaks, you know, because this could be a, a really devastating blow economically and hobby wise to just everything that we see around us, stuff that we rely on, you know, the place we go to get paints, the place we go to play a game, the place that we order stuff from, you know, so now more than ever, it's important to reach out to those businesses and say, you know, Hey, what's up? How's things going during this, this, you know, this little time of crisis and what can we, your fans and uh, patrons uh, do to, you know, keep the lights on? I think it's a good question to start asking. So I'm wondering what kind of – is it just the rent they have to worry about or is it also – are they going to be paying their employees while they're shut down? Are they going to be – are there like other bills involved to being offline like that? Yeah, you know what even, I mean? Even if you don't include the variable cost that's employees' hours, um, just the fixed cost that you normally stretch out over every sale that you make during the day – even that can have a devastating impact on a small business. Sure. Um, a case in point, uh, the gym that uh, my wife and I go to uh, closed last Monday. They are going to try to pay, I think they have three or four salaried trainers that kind of help run the place. Uh, they are going to try to you know, keep the lights on and, and pay those folks for as long as possible. They, they know they can weather for the next two weeks, according to what they've announced publicly. Um, they've also announced that people are booking sessions with them, but never 
obviously not taking advantage of those sessions. So people are almost to the like donating to these businesses to try to keep them afloat during these times because these businesses are that important to our daily routines. You know, it, it, it's extremely. It would be extremely easy for so many small businesses that we rely on for our day-to-day stuff to just shutter after a month of not being able to sell via retail. And it would be super easy for all of these online businesses just to thrive because of it. You know, Amazon could become an even bigger uh, chaotic behemoth than it is right now uh, if all these small stores that we that we travel sometimes great distances to go to because they're cool small stores, if, if they shutter. You know, so I think it's important to, to try to, you know, try try to make let that not happen. You know, we all have the power to be able to help that not happen. Yeah, it's pretty scary to think about. Actually, yeah. I didn't really even. Cons- I would I, like to my train of thought would have gone like, okay, so some of these stores close down, but then something replaces them. But I mean, you're absolutely right. They could just not replace them, and then we could become dependent on online sh- shopping after this whole thing ends. Yeah, especially as you know, especially with an activity as niche as ours. You know, if you look at a store like Red Caps, for instance. There aren't enough people crazy enough to, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad business, but it's a crazy business. You know, it's, it's a tough business to run. Um, I don't, you know, how many other folks in the Philadelphia area would say, okay, Red Claps closed. Let's go get another spot in West Philly and try to do something similar. You know, how, how long would that take? How, how good of a community could they gather around themselves? What would, you know, that's, that, I don't, I don't think it's a good, that, that's not a, that's not a future I, I want to see happen, you know? Yeah. Right. With that, let's spin things on a brighter note. So much interesting news in our hobby. So many great things are happening in spite of all this this tragedy. We just learned that uh, because Adepticon has been canceled, because Warhammer Fest has been canceled, now all of those great previews that you often need tickets to get into are going to be happening online via Games Workshop's Twitch channel in some cases and their main homepage in other cases. So that's kind of exciting. Over the coming weeks, we'll get to see some new and exciting upcoming stuff that's normally reserved for the select few that can get in the doors. So I'm kind of jazzed about that. Um, I'm, you know, of course, bummed that Adepticon's not happening. Of course, bummed that, uh, that Warhammer World was, that Warhammer Fest rather, was canceled. But all good news. You know, we had talked last episode about how some of the vendors who are going to be at Adepticon are doing some great online sales next week in lieu of their actually attending Adepticon. So that's something to look look out for across all hobby channels. Um, what else is going on in the hobby for you all? Carla, let's start with you. What have you been working on in the last week or so? What's been happening? What does your coronavirus desk look like? Um, it's kind of a mess, as as always, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working on that project for Carl. Okay. Um, and then also, in the meantime, I've built the Gundam Wing Zero Master Grade kit. So finally, so I have that on display. Oh, it's great. Um, I had some you know, I'd skipped one small step somewhere in between that I'd go back and, uh, and so I have, you know, I'm pretty good at reading instructions usually, but you know, sometimes even if you're diligent, you're just like, oh, I'll just skip over this part. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I couldn't get like the calf panels to clip, like stick on correctly. And then I realized there's a little part you pull out and clip on. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I am gonna, so it's completely built. I have it on the display stand. I just need to, uh, decide whether or not I want to paint it or leave it as is and put the transfer sheet and stickers on it and like use a micron pen to kind of outline it. 
Uh, I think that's pretty much it for me, though. Um, what about you guys? Well, yeah, you know, I haven't been doing any. My, uh, is this correct? What I was getting ready to say? Well, I'm <laughs> I'm going to say it. I'm doing most of the work that I'm doing right now is I've decided with the new Seraphon book that I'm going to flesh out my Seraphon army. And so, but before I do that, I need to kind of look at the pieces I have, and 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 I've been working with that. In addition to that, I've really taken a really close look at my Necrons. And some of the point changes has prompted me to, because, you know, I have actually, uh, I guess, two different Necron dynasties. They're painted actually different. And one is an old school with all of the third edition metal models mainly. And the other ones are more modern with uh, the, 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 the more recent plastic models. But I've been looking at a couple of things and I I'm I'm thinking about putting together an entire triarch army. Um and you know, I know that sounds strange, but I've got all the models and I'm really, really digging what I'm seeing. I'm trying to be patient. I'm waiting for um the psychic awakening. I'm waiting to see what they do with the Necrons. That's gotta be coming soon. But before before I forget, have either of you guys been following the what is it called? The Psy Engines? Oh, no. So, you know, the next thing that drops is supposed to drop this weekend, I believe, is the the Orc um, Space Wolf piece. The next piece, they're starting to put teasers out. I, I'm, I'm a little confused about this, but apparently there are psychic war engines. So, um, you know, like, uh, you know, the oh, big guys. Like knights. Knights right? with psychic mm. powers. And... It was the way that they described it. it. And during the Horus Heresy, there was rumors to be some of these around, and they they might be bringing them back. I thought that was incredibly interesting. I did not see how they were going to, because they said every faction would get something. I did not see how they were going to do that. But I'm, I'm really, really, I'm following that closely. But I'm still sitting back waiting for two things. I'm I'm lying in a cut waiting for two things. I'm waiting to see what happens with the Necrons with this uh with psychic awakenings and you guys know it was originally slated for maybe this month next month the new custodies book is supposed to drop oh and people are talking all and on about the sisters of silence and people laughed at me you laughed at me when i collected all of those sisters of silence they could get some more love yep they could get some more love yep my day will come. So, Lavelle, in response to what you just said about these Psy uh, Knights, right? There was this warlord sinister Psy Titan that was released for Adeptus Titanicus, which is a knight, a titan, for use in Titanicus that has psychic abilities. So maybe they'll bring in a 40k kit of some variant, maybe a smaller variant in this case, but a, a variant knight with psychic abilities from, you know, maybe a holdover from the Horus Heresy. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, they've actually been putting, like, um, um, a psychic in- awakening engine war. What they've start, And I like the way they do this. They start with a couple of uh, fictional pieces. Mm. And it's up there right now. And it's a short story that you can download. But so I'm I'm really trying to see where they're going to kind of go with the whole thing. But I have to say, I have been collecting, and I'm behind on my reading, but I'd rather have them and slowly read them 
And but I've been collecting all the psychic awakening beasts, uh, all the psychic awakening books, and the reading is pretty good. It's pretty good. I am currently on book three. I'm starting it tonight. The Blood of Ball is my next read. And then I will move on to the Grey Knights book, which I have here too. That's Ritual coming up next. Yep, Ritual of the Damned. I'll do that one. And I still, have, I still have to get the Tau one. And I do look forward to the Orcs one. Um, I'm looking forward to the Orcs one because my COVID-19 hobby progress has been to build, and I'm in the thrush of it right now, I am building all of the orc models that I received at Summer Slaughter as the best sport, despite winning all the games, losing all the games, rather. Uh, I won the best sport trophy, and I got this big, great collection of orc models. I'm finally building all that stuff. So I have myself on the kitchen counter. I am building six... Let me see if I get this right. Six Killicans, two Def Dreads, a unit of ten knobs, a big mech with the shock attack gun, that weird spiral gun that like sucks up grots and like turns them into <laughs> it's a really crazy looking Those model. Things are really nasty in end game. Yeah, the rules They're are really the, good. <laughs> the rules are awesome, and the model is like it's one of my favorite work models. Yeah, and so yesterday um, I started building a like a eBay wish list. I want to get a battle wagon to add to the force. I need a couple of more knobs and I have a, I haven't opened up this box yet, but a uh, Stampa that I'm going to start building probably uh, Friday. So my COVID-19 hobby progress is all about building these orcs. Cause I didn't feel like bringing a lot of painting supplies home with me from my painting space. Um, I'm going to go there tomorrow to work on some stormcast stuff, but um, I just wanted yeah. to bring home some building projects. So I'm finally getting through all these boxes of, uh, of stuff that's been on my shelf. You should hey. get one of those fly or flyers. Cause if you saw, they got a new strat that lets them auto explode after the movement. <laughs> oh, like they really? move and then they explode. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let me ask a question. Any of you guys into the new aeronautica game? No. Has anybody played it or seen it? Played? I've seen it, no. but I have not played it. Yeah. I want it to be good. I, I'm afraid if I buy it, it's not going to be good. <laughs> So I haven't actually purchased it yet, but I want it to be really bad. Not buy a game before Lavelle. What is? I know that's that's strange. Uh, That's strange. But you know, I think I want it. Maybe you should trust your gut on this one. I don't know. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I want it, but I didn't like what I was seeing in terms of the the models. They only had two Imperial fighters or two Imperial planes, and now they put out some tower planes. Yeah. I'm just, I just want to see if anybody played it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it closely. My impression of that game was that if you want to, if you have an inch for that, it's probably, you're probably better served by getting involved with X-Wing because there are probably more folks playing X-Wing nearby than Aeronautica Imperialis. Yeah. If, if you're into that movement template thing and you're into the, you know, the, the, the grid-based kind of flying around business, I think then you're probably better off with X-wing, but but I don't. It know. just seems like a weird. Yeah, like I understand why GW made the game, and it's like a really interesting idea. But it's just like again, I think it it comes down to that like oversaturation mm-hmm. that we have right now. That between 
all the small box games that they're making, which is great that they're making them all, but it's just like I can't possibly buy all of them. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. There's not that's, a time that they That's a loser yeah. talking here. <laughs> Stop it. That's a loser talking. <laughs> Stop it. Come on. You're made of sterner stuff. <laughs> Get the retirement fund. <laughs> Crazy times are afoot. It'll be interesting yeah. to see like what everybody has done and built and painted and ready to play, but can't play with other people in like two weeks. You know what I mean? Oh wait, yeah. Tim, I got another suggestion for you. Yeah, get the latest White Dwarf. I did. In, you you have it? Yeah, the orc the work on the cover. Yes, I just read it. It's great. Did you, did you see the Blackstone Fortress scenario? I love the look. Sexy? I love the look of that Blackstone Fortress scenario. I thought of you as soon as I saw it. Oh yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I yes. haven't tried it yet, but it, it you get to play. You're in there, and you're just one assassin. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I look forward to when we can play games with other people in the same room again. It'll be great. <laughs> It'll be yeah. great. You know, somebody. I said to my brothers and sisters, I said because they were complaining about all their kids being home, and I said, hey, if you were like me, you you'd have a whole slew of games. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. I have. Uh, I've got over. I maybe I shouldn't say this publicly, but 650, 700 board games. Yeah. And many of them you can play solo. And then I said to my wife, because I don't like the rest of your chances in this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my bet here. But I'm down here, yeah. so she's betting to start putting games in the fireplace. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll come home to nothing. Yeah. Like, oh, it's not like that. <laughs> Did you really need the special edition of War 40K Monopoly? <laughs> yes. Uh, of course I did. It's great. All right, cool. That's our hobby progress. We'll take a short break. We will come back with Tactical Upload. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Section 2, the COVID-19 edition, episode 31 of the Crew Shake and Warhammer 40,000 podcast. We have regrouped after finishing episode 30 here to talk about the contents of the Blood of Ball book. It's backwards. The Blood of Ball book. It's still backwards. It's amazing. Holding it up to webcam. We're recording on Zoom for the first time ever, uh, which I think will give us some better sound quality. And it sure is a heck of a lot more fun because we can see each other now via the webcams. Um, so we've been talk- we talked a little bit about the Blood of Ball two episodes ago when we were talking about one of the lists that was in the Red Caps RTT. It was an Imperial Soup list with some Blood Angels, some Admech, and some Astro Militarum. Right, Carlo? I think that was the list we were talking about two episodes ago. Yes. It did well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so we're going to take a deeper dive into the Blood of Ball book because I just found some – there's some interesting stuff in here. I am still reading book um, – two, I guess. So I haven't fully gotten into book three, this, this Blood of Ball narrative side yet. I'm glad to see that it looks like there is some new stuff in this narrative business here at the top of the book, which is nice. There, it looks like they're doing more than just rehashing the, um, the Gathering Storm story, which I found to be one of the faults of the first book, but we'll see how this one evolves. But for now, we're turning to the back half of the book where we get all the yummy new rules and um, Warlord traits, etc., it's, it, this, is, this one is a heftier book, too, it seems. We're getting a lot of new um, unit uh, stat lines, a lot of new um, 
a lot of new stuff for Blood Angels players in this one. Hey, um, Tim, is this the second or the third book? The second, I believe. This right? is the second. It's, um, it's the Eldar, then this. Phoenix oh, Rising. This, Phoenix Rising, Blood of Ball, Ritual of the Damned, then The Greater Good. No, there's a. You're missing the Dark Angels one, which is the third one, I think. Right? Uh, oh, Faith okay. and Fury. Faith and Faith Fury. And Fury. So yeah. I, I read them in the wrong order then. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm in Faith and Fury now. I haven't gotten to Blood of Ball yet. So but let's jump right in. Um, gents, just to start, have you played against anyone with these new rules for Blood Angels from the Blood of Ball book? Has this, have you encountered this in your own gaming yet? I have. I have as well. Oh, cool. So let's talk about some of the outcomes of those games, and then we'll dive into the, uh, the, the meat and potatoes of the book. Carlo, you first. No, you no. We gotta go with the natural order of things over here, Lavelle. <laughs> okay, I played and um, I won this game. It was a very tactical game. Um, the only reason I won it was the list where I was running eighteen rates. Whoa! And I was I was able to get up and neutralize both his uh, his vehicle and his dreadnought early. So that that was the thing that really helped me in that particular game. I was able to get up, and it was hard for him to pivot fast enough. What were some of the things in that list that you played against? He had the Dreadnought, the uh, Psyker Dreadnought. Mm-hmm. He had the um, – which vehicle was that? I can't remember which vehicle it was. He had um, – he was definitely running the Phobos list. He had the, you know, the, the Hell Blasters, the normal thing. Because, um, you know, people like their Hellblasters, and I, I like them, too. I can't mm-hmm. complain mm-hmm. at all. And he had, I can't. I think it was a Predator. He okay. might have had two Predators. Okay. And he was using them, um, I don't, I'm sure it wasn't an Impulsor. He was using it um, from afar. He also had a Tactical War Suit. He had a Tactical War Suit, and uh, it was a high point game. Hmm. And, um, again, the same thing with that. I tried to charge that, and the only, re- the only way I survived was my three plus invulnerable saves. Gotcha. He was he was chucking out a lot of shots. Yeah, that thing's pretty nasty. It's got what like twelve flamer shots or something or twelve inch. Uh, is it twelve inch or an eighteen inch flamer? It's a twelve inch two d six. Okay. Strength five minus one one damage. So you know, yeah, I I, I caught it in the face, but I didn't really have a, a choice. He was going to pummel me from afar, and the rates are moving twelve inches. And the dynasty I chose is the one that allows them to auto advance another six inches. So I advanced them 18 inches, and then I used the strategy that allows them to charge. Did he have any of the characters in that list? Was Lamarts in that list or Mephiston? Um, he, he had, I can't remember. He, the, I think he had Mephiston. Okay. I think that's the one. He, and he had a Phobos, ca- uh, a Phobos captain. That's what I, I'm pretty sure he had. Gotcha. And um, Mephiston was doing his thing with nuking out with all this, um, you know, his, uh, what, is it, what do they call it? His psychic powers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there was, I think he, he might have misplayed him or I got a little lucky and I was able to shoot him up. Yeah, we'll talk about Mephiston's stat lines that are in the book here in a second. Yeah. Harlow, what about you? What's What happened with you in your uh, Blood Angels game? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the last mono Blood Angels army I played was back in the RTT in December. So maybe that was before Blood of Ball, I want to mm-hmm. say. Um, so I did recently play Alex at team practice. He would run a Blood Angels Astra Militarum um, mixed army. And Sasha was coaching him while we were playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, he had run... 
I think it was the Librarian Dreadnought, which is like probably one of the best units in their army right now, like Lavelle was saying, and uh, a few intercessors, uh, the close combat scouts. So with the Blood Angels, they could take the combat knives instead of the bolters, you know, and they usually will do that. Um, it's a really cheap troop option. I think they're, what, are they 35 points a squad or something? Or how much is it? 45 points a squad, something like that. So, and then they take the the uh, close combat knives and they can kind of uh, infiltrate, deploy, and then get up pretty far on the map, maybe take an objective in their mm-hmm. opponent's deployment zone or uh, wrap something in combat. Um, they ended up wrapping uh, some of my fire warriors that I had placed against a, a building. So um, it was pretty, like I couldn't fall back through the building because it was like, you know, this uh, city uh, pieces of terrain that we have, they're just big blocks and we usually right. use them as uh, you can't, they're impassable, you know? Mm-hmm. So I got caught up against one of those. So it was pretty, uh, pretty deadly there. And then he had used uh, uh, one of the main staples in a lot of Blood Angels armies of the Smash Captain, obviously. So uh, they can ignore Overwatch. It's just really deadly right. against my Tau list. Um, and they can whack things pretty reliably. So when they get into combat, um, he also did a nice little tr- uh, trick where he used one of the layman Russes to screen for the, he had like uh, advanced it and pop smoke uh, and used it normally instead of just like sitting still and shooting, right? He ran it up, advanced it, pop smoke and use it to screen for the smash captain. So it could get up further in the first turn mm. um, and begin like a, being like a good spot there. So um, we didn't get to finish that game because we ran out of time, but I got to see it a few of the nice little tricks that Blood Angels had, and, yeah, it's pretty cool. Hey, Carlo, help me understand this scout thing you was describing. Mm-hmm. What's the impact of that? Um, what, the rap that they had done? Right. Or just no, 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 just, in general? Just scouts in general. Um, so, ra- like I said, rather than taking a bolt gun, they could take the close combat knives. Um, I think they give them an extra attack. I'm not sure what the knife does. Do you know, Tim? Um, that, those are the, the scouts you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, well, what the combat knives? It's 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 one additional attack with the combat knife. Yeah. Yeah. So each each uh, scout will get an additional attack. Mm-hmm. If you're running mono blood angels, I believe you get an additional attack uh, from their. Red, was um, it the red thirst that gives them the additional attack? It's the uh, whatever they they get for having uh, a pure blood angels army. So similar to it would be what what is activated in the assault doctrine phase, I think. Oh, okay. Um, and then, uh, which he didn't get in this game, but that's something we could talk about. And then he also got a, they also got, uh, the plus one to wound all blunt, blunt angels get plus one to wound in close combat, which is really, really powerful. So like, really with a, you powerful. know, scouts, you could put wounds on a knight if you roll well, you know? Yes. So, um, uh, Carla, what you were talking about was savage echoes. Which allows yeah, them, um, when they're in the assault doctrine, um, a unit performs a charge or is charged or does a heroic invent- intervention, add one to the attack characteristic. So, and they only get that if they're pure blood angels. So, if you throw like a, an assassin in the list, it removes that. Uh, I believe the inquisitors keep it though. Inquisitors don't affect the um, construction of an army list for those purposes. If I remember right. Um, right, you're right. And then they're stacking on that the new red thirst, right? Which, which gives, gives you them plus one to wound and plus one to advance and charge. Yeah, uh, that's pretty good. Yep. Yes, that's 
that's beastly good. So let me ask this question. In the red, in the the blood angels list that you've seen in the armies, they to me it seems they have to be really, really aggressive. And so often I see that they have to weather that first turn, and then all their deep strikers come in, and then they kind of press, get in your face. They got a lot of attacks there because of the red thirst. They're hitting. I'm sorry, they're wounding on most of the hit, the hits that they land, and so they can be pretty devastating depending on the resiliency of your army. Yeah, I think that's why they're boosted so much if you take them in the fashion they're leaning towards in the Blood of Ball book by using um, these uh, Phobos-armored Primaris Marines who get all the buffs that Phobos armor gives them with regards to uh, cover and saving throws, etc. So if you take a more of a vanguard type of force, you've got, uh, you've got the strength to infiltrate, the strength to hopefully weather that first turn if you play your cover right, and then getting close and deal all that close combat damage that the Blood Angels are are kind of known for and expected of, especially given the new Red Thirst and Savage Echoes rules. Their scouts, they, they, they get in my face fast, but it's not be, it's, it's the scout ability. It's not anything specific to a Blood Angel scout, correct? Well, I think because of the advance in charge, you get the plus one advance, plus one charge. That's another two inches to their total threat range, right? Um, plus the infiltrate ability. So they can... They start within nine inches of you. Right, basically. They can, you know, depending on deployment. So um, Then they can move up. Let's just say then they <laughs> they start within nine inches. Then they move six, and they're three inches away from you. Well, th- they'd have to start. I think it's over nine, right? Yep. So you're three right, inches. Right, right, right. Right. Um, but, yeah, they can be in your face really quickly. Um, now, with that said, they are really squishy. Like, most people don't take them with the camo cloaks because of the extra cost. So... Uh, you're looking at a four-up save normally. So if you can, those are something you want to kill with out of line of sight shooting if you can. Um, that ignores cover and oh. wipe them out pretty quickly. Right, right. Um, I know with Tau, like I choose to. That's like one of my first targets I'm shooting at with smart missile system because it's a troop choice, so it's going to be a whole objective as well. Um, it's something that can get up in your face and hit you. So. Um, obviously, they're not the strong. They're not like a strong, like a known to be a very close combat focus unit uh, scouts in general. But the Blood Angels ones are particularly dangerous because of the abilities we mentioned. So I usually like to kill them quickly um, for as a Tau army. And it is fifty-five points for the the base squad without the camel cloaks. It's 55. 55, yeah. yeah 11 so, points, 11 points model. Yeah. Wow, the camel cloaks, uh, what does it do? The camel cloaks mean they're saving on two pluses in cover. Yeah. But what do you wow. pay for a camel cloak? I haven't looked at that in a the, long time. Man, that's a custody save there. <laughs> Let's see, hang on. What do you pay for that camel cloak? Three points additional for a camel cloak. And they're 11 points? Yeah, 11 points base. Yeah. So 14 points, eh, you know. Near the five is ninety points. No, seventy mm-hmm. points. Yeah, I think that adds up very quickly. I don't think you would it would be worth it to take the camo cloaks in most situations, especially with how much stuff ignores cover out there. Um, I don't. I, I, okay, I was thinking. I was saying, well, in my my custodies armies, I, I don't have anything that ignores cover, ignores cover, but I do in my necrons, and that's only the. Um, Tomb Blades, which I don't play a lot of. Your Telamon doesn't have anything that ignores cover? No, it does not ignore cover. Okay. Hmm. 
So we talked about Savage Echoes, which gives us the uh, plus one attacks um, at the end of the turn, uh, being after you charge, after you are charged, or perform a heroic intervention. We talked about the new and improved Red Thirst, which gives you a plus one to wound when you charge, are charged, or perform a heroic intervention. Plus, you get a plus one to advance or charge. Let's look at some of these Vanguard Warlord, trait, Warlord traits, which I think is really interesting because we're focusing now on Blood Angels Phobos characters as your Warlord, which I like because it's giving us the option, as if you're a Blood Angels player, to determine your Warlord trait based on the armor that you're picking your Warlord to wear, right? Which I think is kind of interesting and narratively cool if you're into building a very narrative list, right? Um, so the first of these Warlord traits, I really like this one, Shoot and Fade. If, uh, shoot and fade, yeah. At the start of your shooting phase, you can select one friendly Blood Angels Phobos unit within six inches of this Warlord. After shooting with that unit, it can move as if it were your movement phase. If it does, it must advance and cannot declare a charge in the following charge phase. It must advance if you're going to move it using shoot and fade, which I really, I think that's really cool. Um, super, super mobile in your Phobos armor. Um, next one is Lord of Deceit. At the start of the first battle round, before the first turn begins, set up three friendly Blood Angels Phobos units on the battlefield. Remove them from the battlefield and set them up again, as described in the deployment section of the mission. So you get to do it once, and then after everything is said and done, you can do it again, which I like. But you don't have to. You could set them back at the exact same spot. Correct. Yep, correct. Correct. Um, number three, um, plus one to move of friendly Flobos units within six inches of this warlord, plus one to advance uh, while they're within six inches, uh, advance and charge rather, while they're within six inches of this warlord. So with Master of the Vanguard, plus one to advance and charge, plus one to advance and charge for the Red Thirst, you're getting up in somebody's face really quickly should you choose to play a Vanguard heavy, Phobos heavy force. I like that one a lot too. Uh, next one, Stealth Adept. <laughs> So really quickly, do they have a stratagem that lets them advance and charge or anything like that? Tim, 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 you keep reading. I'll check it. Next one is Stealth Adept. When resolving an attack made against this warlord, subtract one to hit. Good one. Uh, number five, target priority at the start of the shooting phase. Select one friendly Blood Angels Phobos unit within three inches of this warlord. Until the end of that phase, it is plus one to hit with a ranged weapon. That's cool. Um, and this is, the uh, last one is Marksman's Honors. This is plus one to damage of ranged weapons this warlord is equipped equipped with. This does not apply to grenades or relics. That's a little less exciting, I think. Um, I'm really digging the first three, right? Shoot and Fade, Lord of Deceit, which is a secondary uh, deployment of your Phobos Marines, and uh, plus one to move, plus one to advance with Master of the Vanguard, which is the third optional Phobos character warlord trait. I like that quite a bit. Now, um, Lavelle, you or I'm uh, sorry, Carlo, uh, yeah. you had asked if anything gives us the ability to charge and or in the blood of bile i don't see anything but i know that i know that they have an ability to redeploy um it's like a stratagem that lets them pop up in the middle of the battlefield somewhere and it's i think it's in the main book it, it, isn't that um uh, upon wings of fire uh, no there's one here no. called forlorn fury that's it yeah you, that's you can it. immediately move one of your death company infantry units and even advance as if it were your movement phase but you do that at the start of the first battle round and that's two command points. That's kind of cool. I like that one. I've never seen anybody use that. That's pretty good. Yeah, you can you can use that uh, on the intercessors 
or you can use that on the old death company uh jump infantry mm. so it can be really powerful yeah it's really good okay and i'm i'm looking now for um i'm in the main blood angels codex yeah i didn't see any tim or you just check the main codex yeah I, okay. i've got both gotcha. and I, I, don't, okay. I don't see either one so let Tim, let's talk about uh, warlord traits, and I have a question for you too. I prefer, okay, there. In general, I prefer warlord traits that impact the army, with the exception of this uh, a warlord trait like stealth adept that makes it harder to hit them. So when I choose my necron warlord, I like the tr- the warlord trait that uh, subtract one to hit them. And it's all the time, not just close combat. And then um, gives them plus one toughness and plus one wounds. So it makes my warlord harder to hit and more resilient. Mm -hmm. Those are the only, in general, warlord-specific traits that I like, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to ones that allow me to give a general buff across the army. What do you guys think about that? I, I really like these here in this vent. You know, I took a really close look at these Blood of Ball rules just a couple hours ago as we were getting ready for the show today. And I actually found the nature of taking a Phobos Warlord to be very exciting because in order to get the advantage of those first three most exciting, I think, Warlord traits there, you're going to keep your, your Warlord right in the mix the entire time. You know, it, it feels like to me like this is a list you would build and try to clinch a win in like the second or third turns by playing super aggressive after you weather the turn one. You know, I think this would be a super fun list because you're pretty much laying it all on the line by getting everything up in your opponent's face as quickly as possible. If it doesn't go your way, you're going to know really quick. Like by turn three, you're going you're gonna to have a good sense of whether you're going to come out on top or not. But this forces you to play super aggressively with this Vanguard style Primaris uh, Blood Angels force, which I think, is, I think would be a really, really exciting army to play with. Listen to this. If you compare the Vanguard Warlord traits to the original Warlord traits, in the original book, um, pretty much all of the Warlord traits, except one, impacted only the Warlord. And in this one, pretty much only one is Warlord-specific. The one that didn't in the original one is Friendly Blood Angel Units Automatically Plasma Morale Tags. Okay, yeah. Right. But the rest sure. of them were focused on the warlord and his ability. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you know, if your warlord is a smash captain, they're pretty good. Yeah. And I think this is these kind of rules that are, that are here in the blood of ball. Really, they make you want to play that way. They, 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 they cater to that play style, which is, I think, sort of what Blood Angels have been known for the entire time. Right. I can remember playing in seventh edition against Collins Blood Angels and it was like all smash captain all the time and it was super fun and it was extremely <laughs> aggressive and he would you know he'd tear shit apart really quickly <laughs> yeah you know when I think about it um, and, and the original war uh, and the original warlord trait speed of the Primarch your warlord always fights first and with the smash captain that can uh, be pretty devastating yeah 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 it's great even if he doesn't charge that's great yeah um, so some of the um, Blood Angel specific, well, of course, Blood Angel specific stratagems introduced in the Blood of Ball book. Anything super interesting here that you guys see and want to talk about? Um, I like the stuff that, of course, caters to the Dreadnoughts because we know that the Blood Angels players love their Dreadnoughts, the Furioso especially. <laughs> Duty Eternal. 
Duty Eternal is awesome. Uh, use the stratagem when a Blood Angel's Dreadnought model of your army is chosen as a target for attack until the end of the phase when resolving an attack made against that model have the damage inflicted rounding up. That's awesome. So all the Space Marine chapters are getting that, so that's a good omnipresent stratagem. I like that one. So which units have the death mass trait? Because this um, Visage of the Dam, minus one to hit, for any blood angels that have the death mass trait. Death mass I mean, I ability. Guess, Interesting. Is that just I, the death company? The, or is, yeah, let's take a look and see. Is it the death company I'm looking or the, for, I'm looking the sanguinary the guard? I'm looking in the original book now. So uh, death of the wind is really good uh, while he's looking. Um, that'll That's one CP. Use the stratagem in the fight phase. Select one sanguinary guard unit from your army. Until the end of the phase, when resolving an attack made by a model in that unit, treat a damage result of one as two. So that's so pretty that, much for them. This, uh, the Sanguinary Guard have the Death Mask uh, trait, and which says enemy unit suffers a minus one to morale while they're within three inches. But this one also makes them harder to hit. That's pretty good. Each one of them. So each, does the Sanguinor. Sorry to interrupt, but the Sanguinor also has Death Mask. Yeah. Yeah, each sanguinary guard has two wounds. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. They're a really strong unit right now. They're pretty much an auto-take for any Blood Angels army at the moment. Sanguinary guard, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know when they hit the table, I I, I, <laughs> I sink some resources into getting rid of them. Don't let them get in your lines. <laughs> so I'm looking, uh, not to get us too off track, talking about the, the bigger picture stuff at the end of the book, but I, I just turned to the uh, Warsuit um uh, data sheet here, and I haven't played against this model yet. Um, but this is that's pretty nasty. But the Fragstorm Grenade Launcher, Incendium Cannon, which I think you guys were talking about before, uh, heavy 2d6 shots that auto hit, uh, strength 5, minus 1, 1 damage. That's awesome. It does, ex- does explode. It does have concealed position, and it has... So, listen, Tim. When you get the model, right, it comes with the Fragstorm Grenade Launcher, Heavy Bolter, Incidium Cannon, two, heavy, two Iron Rail Stubbers, and then Victor Fist. Yeah. Okay? Which is pretty pretty interesting. It's pretty great. But look at this heavy sidearm move. Whilst this model is within one inch of an enemy unit, its Heavy Bolter has the type characteristic of Pistol 3. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. It looks yeah. like... So that re- reminds me of like the, the way that it... Because the warsuit holds it like a gun, like it's a revolver. You know what I mean? It's it picks, so big, <laughs> which is right. funny. Uh, it reminds me of the ship from Outlaw Star. It has a gun that looks just like that, and it holds it in the same way. So it's really awesome. funny. Awesome. Yeah, and you know what? The the warsuit can be set up ten nine inches away, more than nine inches away. So it it can really quickly get in your line, depending on who's going first. Mm. It's got th- thirteen wounds, a three plus save, uh, a toughness of six. It's worth um, it, it's worth dedicating some uh, some firepower to getting rid of. So let's talk about from a designer's perspective why the war suit was a necessary model to bring into the game. I did I never bought it for my um, Iron Hands army just because I never liked the look of the damn thing. It looks like a you know the the construction suit from Alien, Aliens, mm-hmm. uh, which I was never you know I like it when Ridley's wearing it, but not necessarily when the Space Marine is wearing it. <laughs> so I take issue when the Space Marine is wearing the same thing as Ridley. Yeah, because I mean, is it? It's basically a living dreadnought. Is the vibe? But is that necessary? Is there not enough? I'm just not sure where it fits into the narrative and where it fits into. Yeah, I never it, thought about it that way. Like it's know? not. Well, a dreadnought is sixty points. 
an Invicta Warsuit is 90. And, you know, you're kind of ignoring something like, where did it come from? It's never been there before. Yeah. What heresy got this to the table? Exactly. Right. And did the mecha- right. do the mechanics know? Right. This is an era of no technological advancement, but here we are with this new crazy war suit. Unless it's in like one of the um, Dark Imperium or Plague War books that I haven't read yet, but I'm, I don't know if it's if its origin story is told in those books. Why do you think they need it? That's that's my question. Like, why not just give the dreadnought a bunch of new upgrades or something? The new the new um the new dreadnought the upgrade. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah right. It, I don't know. Carla, do you have any thoughts on that? Why do we need that war suit at all? Like anything, we don't need it, but we want it. <laughs> we want it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, your honesty is stunning. True. I don't have any. Gri- I don't have any grapes with it, other than uh, you know, I'm not a big. I'm not the most lore savvy out of the three of us. I'm the least lore savvy, so uh, I think it bothers me the least, probably, right. for that reason. <laughs> Um, but you know, that's um, fair. That's fair. What maybe, I, maybe it's a parallel to the Eldar. Oh, you're talking about the war walkers. Yes. The war walker or the wasp. Right. Which is more like a sentinel. Yeah. Like an astromilitarum sentinel sentinel. Right. Yeah. Let's keep talking. Let's, um, let's turn to page 57. Let's talk about the obscuration discipline. We have the sanguinary discipline and the obscuration discipline yep. and they can decide what they want which one they want i think you have to be phobos to pick from the obscuration discipline yeah it says a uh, vanguard seconded to vanguard opture up vanguard operations yeah and so i think if you i think if it is a phobos it can only take from the obscuration discipline Correct. you know what i mean yeah you can't you can't mix them that's what it's saying where are you seeing that like on a psyker this model can attack to, i'm reading my fifth sign can attempt to manifest two psychic powers in your psychic phase and attempt to deny two psychic powers. It knows smite and three powers from the sanguinary discipline. Mm-hmm. Is he Phobos? No. Not Phobos. No. That's uh, see, that's why I think the data sheet yeah. tells you where you can take your powers from. Yeah, a librarian in Phobos armor can pick, knows smite and two psychic powers from the obscuration discipline. Yeah. So it's just those, it's limited to those Phobos uh, Marines. Yeah. So shrouding is the first of the obscuration discipline. Um, we got a warp charge of six. Select one friendly Blood Angels Phobos unit within 18 inches of the Psyker. Enemy units can only shoot it if it is the closest target that is visible to them or they are firing Overwatch. But that only applies to a Phobos librarian selecting a friendly Blood Angels Phobos unit. Again, the focus here of this Blood of Ball book being on these Vanguard operation forces. Uh, next one is Soul Sight. Warp charge of six. If manifested, pick one friendly Blood Angels Phobos unit within 18 inches of the Psyker until your next psychic phase. When resolving an attack made with a ranged weapon by a model in that unit, you can reroll hits and the target does not receive the benefit of cover to its saving throw. That's kind of awesome. Rerolling all hits and no cover. That's great. Uh, mind Raid. Warp Charge of Six again. These are all Warp Charge of Six so far. This is great. Uh, mind Raid has Warp Charge of Six. Uh, manifested select one enemy model within 18 inches invisible of the Psyker. That model's unit suffers one mortal wound. If your army is battle forged and that model is a character, roll 3d6. If the result is equal to or greater than that model's leadership characteristic, you gain one command point. That's awesome. Mortal Wound plus a command point coming back to you if you beat their leadership in 3d6. That's great. That's pretty sweet. Mind Raid. The Psyker peers into the mind of the foe, raiding their thoughts for secret codes, battle plans, etc. That's awesome. 
Uh, next one, number four is hallucination, warp charge of six. Select an enemy unit within 18 inches of and visible to the psyker. Until the, until the next psychic phase, subtract one from the leadership characteristics of the models in that unit. Your opponent then rolls 2d6. If the result is greater than the highest leadership characteristic of models in that unit, then until the start of your next psychic phase, when resolving an attack made by a model in that unit, they are suffering minus one to hit. So you're basically making them bug out and fire their weapons with less accuracy until the start of the next psychic phase. That's pretty good. So you do that, and then the mine raid, get your uh, get a better chance on your command point. Great point. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Really, really good. Uh, tenebrous Curse. Tenebrous Curse. Uh, warp Charge of 6. Select one enemy unit that cannot fly and was and is within 18 inches of and visible to the Psyker. That unit suffers one mortal wound and half move characteristic and the results of advance and charge rolls for it rounding up. That's really good. You're basically putting them in quicksand. That's good. Mm-hmm. And the last one, Temporal Corridor, Warp Charge of 7. Select one Blood Angels Phobos unit within three inches of the Psyker. That unit can immediately move as if it were the movement phase, but it cannot fall back as part of this move and must advance. When the advance roll is made for that advance, roll 3d6 and discard two of the results. Any two of the results. That's interesting. You cannot use Temporal Corridor on the same unit more than once per Psychic phase. That's great. I have a, car, a, a rules question. Hmm. If you stood stationary in the movement phase you, and the unit was subjected to temporal corridor and then moved, would it count as moving in terms of firing heavy weapon? Yes. Uh, let, me, let me read it again. Yeah. I'm going to say yes because it can immediately move as if it were your movement phase. It says can, though, so it doesn't count as having moved. But if you move it... Yeah, then it... Then it will uh, count as having mo- b- moved. Right. right, count as having moved, yeah, as if it were your movement phase. So, yes. Well, doesn't heavy say if you moved during the movement phase? I think it's just if the character has moved. If it moves. Yeah. Okay. I got, I wanted, I, when I played the Blood Angels player, I got caught with two things shrouding. Mm. It didn't seem like a big thing. But what he did was, he, it was his intention to take an objective from me. So he moved his troop unit up and he put shrouding on it. And then he threw uh, a smaller unit that was not troop a little bit closer. Um, um, And that prevented me from shooting the troop unit with my immortals because I had Tesla and they had my will be done on them. And I was going to blow them out. But then he just prevented that. It was a really, really good move. That's cool. Really good move. Yeah. And the other thing is that... um, Tenebris Curse has a warp child of Ivy Six, blah, blah, blah. You got that? He did that on my Wraith. And then I learned, I should have known it before, Wraith don't have fly. They have Wraith form. Oh. And so he was able to have their movement. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. I said, no, because. Uh, 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 damn it. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, exactly how that's I want. No, no, because you go. Uh, 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 Damn it! Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so he got me really, really good with that. And you think that the rate rate form is pretty good, but not it. It makes a difference. It not being fly. Lavelle, to answer your question, here's a rule for heavy, which you may be right on this. If a model with a heavy weapon moved in its preceding movement phase, you must subtract one from any hit rolls 
uh, made with uh, when firing that weapon this turn. You see what I so, what I was asking, yeah, so, Tim? So yeah, if you move just... with the psychic power, but it counts as having moved as if it were your movement phase. So it's kind of like a... it does it because it says you can move as if it were your movement phase. Yeah, I think I think the intention is there. The, the intention there is to. It's like a second movement phase, right? Okay, so can you hold on? We need a judge over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I can fact it. You <laughs> <laughs> need a judge over here. So what I did was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's really really interesting here. If if it's true, if if it doesn't, well, I think it is the movement phase. Yeah, right. Well, I, yeah, it's it's worth it's worth knowing in case you get caught with it for sure. That's how my thing well, always is. Well, here's your problem there. It doesn't matter anyway because it must advance, so it can't shoot anyway. Oh. It's got assault weapons. Oh, well, then it wouldn't matter. It can't shoot the, the heavy. heavy. Yeah. Uh, okay. There we go. Yeah, okay. 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 That clarifies it, right? <laughs> Just read the next line. It must advance. <laughs> looks, like, looks like they got it covered. Yep, they outthought us on that one too. All right, good. <laughs> good. Um, so I don't have Faith and Fury right in front of me. I don't know where it went. I think it must be in the other room. Um, but Faith and Fury is the other um, Psychic Awakening book, and it introduced these litanies of battle that are unique to Space Marine chaplains. Um, on the next page of Blood of Ball, we have some uh, Blood, uh, Blood Angels-specific litanies of battle. Um, Lavelle, can you pull up the Faith and Fury book, or Carlo, if you have it there with you? I've got it. Yeah, I, 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 I know I own it. I just don't know where it went. Faith and Fury, right here. I thought I had a big stack of this stuff. Let me just show you guys, see? Yes. That's what we're talking about. Let us go to the good book. There you go. So I just wanted to compare these, Lavelle, to the regular chaplain um, litanies versus these um, Blood Angels-specific litanies. The first one being Litany of Death. If this litany is inspiring, then when a model in a friendly Blood Angels unit within six inches of this model would lose a wound as the result of a mortal wound, roll a d6 on a five-up, that wound is not lost. But it's not cumulative with any other similar rules like standard of sacrifice relic. Yes. So okay. I have, I have chapter litanies up. Yeah, that's what I have in front of me, too. Okay. And did Blood Angels have one? They did not. No, because this is for the Space Marine Codex. One through six, I think, are exactly the same as normal Space Marine litanies. And I think there's one at the bottom that says Blood Angels Invocation of Destruction. When you get to that, awesome. Then, then that'll be the question. special Blood Angels awesome. one. That answers yep. my question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll uh, read the number five. Rest, are they called the same thing, too? No. Just different, different names. Just Like I'm words. looking at Litanies of the Devout. And Litany of Divine Protection is the same as Litany of Faith. Great. Okay, cool. Um, Psalm of Remorseless Persecution catches him a fire. <laughs> the Psalm of Remorseless Persecution. <laughs> you know, that you know how those Templars are. <laughs> Woo, that's intense. Uh, let's do recitation of focus. If this is inspiring, uh, Blood Angels unit within six inches, resolving an attack made with a ranged weapon, add one to hit. Uh, number six is Canticle of Hate. Add two to charge rolls made for Blood Angels units within six inches of this model. And uh, pylon or consolidate within six inches. And they do not, uh, it's not cumulative, so that's fine. Uh, this is the Blood Angels uh, exclusive one, the Invocation of Destruction. If this litany is inspiring, select one friendly Blood Angels unit within six inches of this model. When resolving an attack made with a melee weapon by a model in that unit, on a six, it has an armor penetration value of negative four for that attack. That's kind of nice. That's Again, nice. Encouraging us to get up in the grill and get our Blood Angels in a really tidy, hey. close combat style Tim, attack. Just because I have it open, it's Please. a comparison. Yeah. 
the Black Templar, their special one is, is this, is it? No, it's not. Fight first? Oh, maybe it is. Hmm. They only have six litanies. And their sixth one is Oath of Glory. If this litany is inspiring, select one friendly Black Templar unit within six inches of this model. That unit always fight first. Yeah, okay. That's unique to them then. Yeah. That's good. They're short of litany. Well, they get all the litanies. So they have the same first five that the Space Marines get. And then they get the Imperial Fist Fortress of Resolve as well, don't they? Because they're oh, Imperial Fist. Chapter, yeah. right? oh. So. Oh, yeah, 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 that's so right. That's five and six. Yeah, it's cool. That's cool. There you go. Um, anything interesting about these relics of Ball? I like the Biomantic Sarcophagus. This is add six inches to the range of psychic powers for models that manifest the sanguinary discipline. In addition, once per turn, when a psychic test or deny test, the witch test is taken for this model, you can reroll one of the dice. That's with the Biomantic Sarcophagus. I kind of like that. Yeah, that can be pretty rough right there. Wrath of Ball. Six inches. Yeah, six inches is awesome. Um, the Wrath of Ball is good for a sanguinary ancient only. At start of your movement fade, add two to the movement characteristic of models and friendly Blood Angels jump pack units if their unit is within six inches of this model. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That's, That's dope. Cool. Yeah, you run like a, whatchamacallit, a jump chaplain with some uh, death company. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Give him the wrath of ball. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, gleaming pinions. This is awesome. Uh, jump pack model only. This model can charge in a turn where it fell back. In addition, when a charge roll is made, add one to the result. That's kind of badass. If you're taking um, any old school jump pack marines, that's pretty nice. And there's some special issue war gear. I think the most interesting stuff, which Lavelle pointed out before we got on the air here, is on page 62, right? Um, really nice to see, as we had discussed in the last episode, some extra super... Uh, hey, Tim, so, Tim, yeah. let me back you up. Car- Carlo, give me your opinion on the... They have a relic called the Decimator. It, it, uh, it replaces a Mastercraft... Which one? <laughs> okay, wait, let me... Uh, it, go the Decimator goes range 24... Uh-huh. Assault three, strength five, minus two AP, two damage. Um, and when making an attack, they can advance and still fire this weapon. I played against a lieutenant that had the weapon, and it replaced it with this. And I, I think this was at the Burke's Winter Assault. And I was like, what a waste of a... Uh, yeah, uh, it's a waste of a relic in a competitive format. But, you know... Okay, that's what I, I was think, asking. Yeah. Yeah, but I think because... It can't do anything special like target characters or anything like that. So, and the on a lieutenant, especially, I think lieutenants are BS three, aren't they? Or is that just They're BS three? Yeah, so that that's even worse. Mm-hmm. So, because like if you're gonna put a relic gun on a character, you might as well put on a BS two character. You know what I mean? Okay, all right. Because so, I was and, asking and, about that. Um, I think like I would even almost take the like I was looking at this. So this relic Crozius over here, um, it's going to go on your chaplain, right? Plus one strength, AP minus two, two damage. Your strength five, AP minus two, two damage. Um, any successful wounds cause the target to be terrified. So you, that uh, unit would subtract two from their leadership. So like, I feel like there's a lot of abilities in the game that affect leadership, but they don't do it enough. I feel like it's almost like negligible most of the time. Like they should double, they should take all the abilities and subtract leadership and double the amount 
that subtracts, you know, to make it more impactful in the game, I think. Because it's almost, you know what I mean? Like, there's certain little niche strip, like, little combos that you could pull off right now, but nobody really does them because they're almost, it's like too, too many uh, of your eggs in one basket kind of a thing, right? To get that combo off, it's like, you know, it's not reliable. Too much can go wrong so, before you're yeah, able you to know, do it. You know, I did play right. Thomas's Night Lords, and he was making my custodies fail theirs, mm. which mm-hmm. was, I was like, this is just not right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is against the lore. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think they should uh, restrict it to where, like, only certain armies can do it, but they should make it more potent. Okay, yep, that makes yeah. sense. And make it more part of, like, the army's main strategy strategy rather than kind of like a little side thing you know but that's just my opinion on it. let's turn the page and look at some of the flesh terrors special rules so if we are fielding an army sourced from the flesh terrors chapter which is a blood angel successor chapter of course um you get the the flesh terrors uh, warlord traits stratagems and the relics of cretacea the warlord traits include such timeless classics as <laughs> merciless butcher. merciless butcher <laughs> When this warlord is chosen to fight in the fight phase, they make one additional attack with one of its melee weapons for every five enemy models within three inches of it to a maximum of three additional attacks. Decent. How often are you going to have 15 models around you? Mm, I don't know. Right, um, norks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, but with the warlord, you're probably taking like the smash captain and you know, you're know you used to a thunder hammer. You're not going to send that in a pack of orcs. Right, you know? right. Unless, you know. Situational, but not awesome, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Two of Wrath and Rage. When resolving an attack made with a melee weapon by this warlord and an unmodified roll of six, you make one additional attack, but it cannot generate additional attacks after that. Mm, Not awesome. Uh, Third, I think it's probably the most fun, Cretacean Born. Overwatch attacks cannot be made against this warlord. I like that. Um, and if you're playing with uh, Gabriel Seth as your named character warlord, Gabriel must take the Merciless Butcher uh, warlord trait. They also get this rule, Fury Within. And this is this applies to all the Flesh Terrors. Excuse me, I, I passed over this. Didn't realize, didn't read this. Yeah, these are Flesh Terrors warlord traits. Right, correct. Those are Flesh Terrors warlord traits. But this one, Fury Within, is a... Um, uh, they get Fury Within instead of Red Thirst. When resolving an attack made by a melee weapon with a model of this ability, in a turn in which that model's unit made a charge move, was charged, or performed a heroic intervention, add one to the wound roll. In addition, when resolving an attack made by a melee weapon in this unit, unmodified rolls of six improve the armor penetration characteristic by one. I'm not feeling the flesh terrors so far. Let me tell you, the, the only thing that I really liked about the flesh terror was this one CP stratagem, aggressive onslaught, which you pick a unit and they can pile in six inches. A six-inch pollen can jam some stuff up. That's a good one. Yeah, that could be really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A six-inch. I mean, it'll help you wrap stuff for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, here, it, I, oh, yeah, even though, hmm. even though I just read the Black Templars. Yeah. Are the flesh tier? I mean, I was surprised, and this is why I brought it up. I was surprised that the flesh terrors got a, their own call out inside the book. What what other uh, successor chapters? And I say that, and I just read the Black Templars, but they're different. 
you know, get a call out inside of a book like this. Um, like I, did, didn't the didn't they do this with the Blood Ravens? But the Blood Ravens aren't really a successor chapter. Oh, that's right. I mean, nobody knows where the Blood Ravens came right. from. That's right. They came from the video game, but we don't talk we about kn- that. We know where they <laughs> came from. <laughs> we know where they Heresy! Came from. <laughs> they came from the computer. <laughs> um, let, let's check out this other... The thinking machine. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, the cursed Xbox. Yeah, so this came from uh, Savage Destruction is the other Flush Terror's stratagem. Um, this is interesting. I don't know of any other um, chapter or any other army that has this. Um, the end of the turn, when a model in that unit is destroyed, it counts as two destroyed models for the purposes of any morale tests. That's kind of cool. For two CP. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. For two CP, you can count one dead model as two. That's kind of cool. It's, ex- it's expensive, but it, but situationally, that could be really effective. That's right? actually really good against like a horde meta because uh, you can could it break wipe a whole, out. Yeah, could uh, it break a, a orc army? Oh, yeah. That... Necrons, you want to kill them off so they can't save your protocol. Like all those yeah, horde yep, armies yep, where yep, they can yep, regenerate yep. units yeah. with like green tide or savior protocols or whatever. Like you want yeah. to take those out uh, down to the last model. That's super yeah. fun. Counting is two. Can you think of any other stratagems on any other book that gives anybody that? That's the first I've heard of anything like that. Um, I can't think of any. That's a nice new mechanic. I don't mechanic. know that's them cool. all like the back of my hand. So there might be something. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I thought I saw something, but I, I can't remember if it was uh, something that was really a stratagem or something I made up and tried to slip by somebody. <laughs> I have to might have, special, consul- might have been a special consul- rule. <laughs> right. I got to go back and consult. That's a special rule. That's a special rule. Right. <laughs> now, I don't really like this relic. I just like the name. Sephirer of Threads. <laughs> That's a pretty cool name here. That is pretty it's pretty good. It's chain sword. It's plus one strength, minus one AP, one damage. Um, but when you fight with it, instead of making an additional attack, you make D three additional attacks. It's a shame you can't put more people in it. I mean, you can't give it to more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on a six, it's one mortal wound. Yeah. Against infantry units only, though. Mm. So. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see that. Right. Okay. Um. What do you guys think about so while we're on the topic, like what do you think about that 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 stratagem? You had not seen anything like it, but most of the stratagems in the game and abilities and uh, weapon traits and stuff usually are shared across multiple armies, if not all of them. Like they all have like an equivalent mm-hmm. ability. Like, what do you think about that? Do you want that? To, do you like that because it? Um, kind of resembles the USRs we used to have, universal special rules, or would you want more uniqueness from army to army? I'm, I'm going to say I would rather have a set that goes across the armies. Well, when you talk about space marines, a set that goes across the space marines, like let's just pick a number and say there are 20 stratagems, a set of 10 that go across all space marines, and a set of 10 that have the unique flavor of the army. That's what I, I'd like to see. Hmm. And 30 for the Necrons. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, against like, I'm more talking about like, like everything in the game has a, uh, every army in the, in the game has <sighs> an ability to 
cause mortal wounds on a six or something like that. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, There's yeah. usually something like that in, in each army. You yeah, know, and I can't I can't give you specific examples for everything, but no, I know what you, you know mean. what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what I you mean. Um, I think it's interesting to have this conversation now if we are on the threshold of ninth of ninth edition, right, of the next edition of War, of 40k, because that would be almost a return to the first couple of months of eighth edition, where there were only three stratagems, right, and everybody used them, and the game was like super light and super fast to play because there wasn't all this other stuff on top of it, right? So maybe. Will we see a return to maybe like ten stratagems that all everybody has access to, as if they were old USRs from previous editions? Right, that would be interesting, right? Yeah, I think that'd be kind of neat. Yeah, and then like ten universal stratagems that every army gets, and then ten specific ones. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I like that yeah. idea. Before we leave the book, I have to say, if Carla, you have the book. Uh, yes. Okay. If you have not already, don't read. Deeply study this Terranid section. It is terrifying. We, we don't have enough time in one episode to go through it. It gives this mix and match menu to Terranid players that a crafty Terranid. After I read it, I, I was a little bit sad that I gave up my Terranid army that was beautifully painted. Yeah, but if it, 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 I tell you to read it. So when they line up on the other side of the table, you know, you're not caught by surprise. No, the enemy. Right. They have uh, adaptive physiology, high fleet adaptations, new psychic powers, and what I like best, the name generators. <laughs> know your name That's generator. really why we bought these books. Yep, right. Just for the, the name, name generators. generators. It's a $40 <laughs> generator. <laughs> cool. With that, we will close out Tactical Upload. We will return with Section 3, Future History. Blood Angels, crazy awesome, or just plain crazy? We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. Section three, future history. We're going to continue talking about the Blood Angels. The subtitle here is Crazy Awesome or Just Plain Crazy. So their primogenitor, their Primarch Sanguinius, died at the hands of Horus aboard the Vengeful Spirit in defense of the Emperor himself. There's that wonderful classic piece of 40k artwork of Sanguinius basically lying dead on the steps of Horus's flagship while the Emperor is flexing his terrible-looking lightning claw, sword in hand, about to deal uh, Horus the final blow that takes both of them out of the picture. But the psychic shock of Sanguinius's death spread, like it did so much damage to the, the otherwise pretty sane, but, you know, aquiline looking blood angels with the wings and everything, um, that it, it drove them insane. It gave them the afflictions we now know as the red thirst and the black rage. Okay, hold it. I've hmm. got a couple of questions. But hmm. before I get some questions, a couple of little tidbits of lore. Hmm. You know, a lot of it is often said that Sanguinius was the best of the Primarchs in a lot of different ways. And I've read that Sanguinius is the Primarch that met the Silent King. Oh, the Silent King. I'm sorry, Carla, we got a bad connection because I thought you said, who's the Silent King? <laughs> the Silent the, King, it was the last... the great Bambino? <laughs> <laughs> the last ruler of the Necron. And in that meeting, 
it was Sanguinius that convinced him that made convinced the silent king because of his demeanor and everything that the humans were worth saving. It was something about that interaction. So I have to go find wow. that lore. But here's the thing. Like saving how? Like in their ca- like covers because for the later? Silent king, no, the Silent <laughs> King knew that the, uh, the uh, Terranids were coming. So now here's the thing. Didn't the Red Blood Angels have the Red Thirst already? I think, yeah, I think the Red Thirst is their gene seed flaw. And then the Black Rage, like Lavelle said, is when Sanguinius died. Right. Okay, so yep. So my point is, they were already vampires. They were already blood sucking lunatics then. So they're just playing crazy. All right, cool. I'm glad we wrapped that up. That's it for <laughs> right. section. That was a quick section. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Moving it was on. just. <laughs> is it like is that like parallel to the what is it the Canis Helix that yes. causes the and I guess you know the emperor really didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> He's got no perfect gene seat. It's really surprising that each gene seed only has yeah. one flaw, though. You know, it's yeah. almost like. Well, what's the what's yeah. the Open Marines for? Pride. Being that kid in class, it raises his hand for every question. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. I know, I know. The Red Thirst is the Blood Angel's darkest secret and greatest curse. It is also their greatest salvation, for it brings with it a humility and understanding of their own failings, which makes them truly the most noble of the Space Marines. <laughs> yep, so they can, they can blow their own horn for sure with regards to the Red Thirst. Um, but the Black Rage... Uh, is what was triggered by the death of the Primarch Sanguinius. It is over, a warrior overcome with the Black Rage appears half mad with fury. He is unable to distinguish past from present. It is as if he is on the bridge of the vengeful spirit when Horus deals the death blow to Sanguinius. And he does not recognize his comrades when he is suffering from the Black Rage. He may believe he is Sanguinius upon the eve of his destruction with the battles of the Horus heresy raging all around him. Such a battle brother stands at the end of his travails and his path leads only to the death company where he and the chapters, other damned souls will fight one final battle in Sanguinius's name. That is the black what did, rage. What did you? Oh, that's the black rage. Cause mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reading in the codex on chapter six, mm-hmm. which seems a little, be a little bit of retconning, mm-hmm. but, uh, left column on the bottom. It was the death of the Primarch that is believed to have triggered the onset of the Red Thirst, a terrible flaw within the Legion's gene seed. This curse spread slowly through the Blood Angel chat. But I remember reading that they had this problem when he was still here. Yeah, I know that they've always had a flaw, and I think canon is the Red Thirst was always the flaw. And then the Red Thirst just made them demand the blood of the living. So there's that. So how can the greatest Primarch have uh, given his his kids this red thirst? No, 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 no. When the emperor made it, he, you know, spilled a little something extra in it, and that, and it just came out. And it's, <laughs> it's, 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 um, well, didn't they have the red thirst? Or um, I might be thinking of the Thousand Sons. Didn't they have the red thirst as an issue before they found Sanguinius? I need to read into that. You see what I'm saying? Interesting. So in, in the Codex, uh, the flaw, a dreadful curse known as the flaw, each time battle looms, they must court the twin dangers of the Red Thirst and the monstrous Black Rage. The Red Thirst blo- robs the Blood Angels of their nobility, clouding their minds with an irresistible bloodlust. Mm. 
And the Black Range claims a son of Sanguinius forever. Body and soul, they are lost, sent only to the Death Company to fight their last battle. Um, so some, some folks imply that the powers of chaos were um, afflicting the gene seed of the uh, infant Primarch Sanguinius, right? So that's a little dose of chaos in there. Others claim that the flaw lies in the process used to create new generations of blood angels that give the flaw. But they have this they have this flaw where they want to just drink blood. Uh, yeah, he, he, drinking he, the blood of this of the assembled sanguinary priests from the Red Grail is part of the induction ritual for all Blood Angels priests. So they're down with blood drinking top to bottom. <laughs> stern. So I never I have not read much Blood Angels lore, but where do they from where do they drink the blood? You know what I'm saying? Like do they just attack humans? Like they do. They drinking, yeah, just like yeah, especially during during wing during battle. Yeah, they're going to be drinking some surf blood. Are they drinking like a uh, friendly human blood? Yep, or whatever they can get their blood? hands on. Okay, so if they're walking, like if the if they're in the hive, are they like just like picking out random people to eat? You know, they're going to take thing? a little sip. They're going to take a little okay. little shot of that, a little shot of this. So they're kind of uh, not the. Kind of messed up, people. Nah. And they sleep in sarcoph- <laughs> and they, they sleep in sarcophagi. All of them. Yep. Perhaps the strangest of all the chapters traditions is the habit of sleeping whenever possible in the sarcophagi used to create them. Woo. So they're pretty heavy. The sarcophagi. So like, do they pack them for every trip, or is that only That's when they're they home? got servitors for kind of a thing? Yeah. You know? they, they sleep yeah. in the sarcoph- <laughs> their their blood is cleansed and purified while they are sleeping in their sarcophagi. Woo. So here, here's the thing. I'm, I'm back on the emperor. He had already created before he started work on the uh, Space Marine Legions. He had already created custodies. Why didn't he just make more of them? Maybe they were harder to make. Oh, you know what? I can stop. I, you know what? A custodies requires a child, and they start the process as a child. Hmm. Uh, a primarch. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, um. Marine. Astartes, the Space Marines require somebody in adolescent or past adolescent. Yeah, that's what it is. And so you can readily get more of those. Oh, interesting. And then you start the process. And, you know, neither one can procreate, but mm-hmm. you take the organs and you start growing them and you do your grafting. The, um, the, n- nobody, that's the other thing. Space Marines know how to make more Space Marines. Nobody but this select group of people know how to make custodies. Right. Yeah, they are the, the special of the special. Yes. You, you know, know the I, other thing, did you read the, um, the, uh, the, the first book in the, um, was it the Stolar War that started the, with them, the beginning when Horus came to our solar system, where he sent Abaddon to take the gene seed? That was a really good book because they described they described the people whose job was to guard the gene seed. The uh, one thing that I'm looking forward to reading, um, not to sidetrack us too much here, is I tried to get the limited edition, but I couldn't. The uh, Valdor, Birth of the Imperium. It's the sto- story of one of the oldest custodies from before, at the end of the um, Unification Wars, which is probably really interesting to read. That's pre-heresy, pre-everything. Um, one of the custodies fighting at the Emperor's side. So basically probably like the biggest and baddest of the Thunder Warriors which is kind of cool. Thunder Warriors, who we also see in a book called The Outcast Dead in the Horus Heresy. So there is a living 
there are a few living Thunder Warriors that we meet in the Outcast Dead book. It's an awesome story. That book got, is crazy. I've, I've got that poster because Justin's always getting on me. I buy a lot of stuff off of Facebook because I see it and I say, that looks cool. I have that, that, that poster that describes the Space Marines and it compares the Custodes, the Primarch. All, all, it gives them a size comparison of everything all the way down to a man. Oh, that's it's cool. pretty good. I'm looking, ah, that's how you do it. Let me read this to go back to uh, to Carlo's question. There have been incidents when the Blood Angels have been stationed on distant worlds where members of the local population have gone missing, only to turn up later drained of blood. The, obviously, the accidents of some sort. It is possible that this is the work <laughs> of cultists seeking to discredit the chapter. It may be, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> it may be even that some of the more superstitious local citizens have taken to offering up sacrifices to their godlike visitors. It may also be possible that these folks have been killed by blood angels covered by the red thirst. So what's to say? They, they could have also just cut themselves shaving. Right. <laughs> oh my. Do you, I mean, you, you don't succumb from the black, you don't, you don't return from the black rage. You do not. But I guess you succumb from the black thirst after you've had a drink or two. Yes, you can get better from the, the, the red thirst, but the black rage takes you to the point of the brink of the loss of all of your humanity and loss of right and wrong, loss of when. When will then be now? Soon, if I can quote Mel Brooks and Spaceballs. Um, and you're basically lost everything but the death company, and there you go. You're done. I like the Blood Angels. I like the story. I love the fact that you know this is a this is a you know a first founding chapter. If it's been around for a long time, I like the fact that their Primarch died on the bridge of the Vengeful Spirit in defense of the Emperor. There's a lot of really great stories around uh, Sanguinius. He's obviously been in the picture for a super long time, uh, even before the Primarchs were who they have become to be now. I was just reading in the latest White Dwarf. There was a picture of the first Lehman Russ model. And it was like this tiny little model. It was about yay big. It wasn't very big at all. He's like that big. Because Primarchs weren't always like a 13 feet tall. Right? At one point, they were uh, just basically generals in the 40K uh, 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 fluff. Right? They were just really small. Oh, so were they retconned to be yes. bigger? Okay. Yep. Yep. They were made bigger I probably right around the time they started pushing the Horus Heresy as a separate product line and, and narrative arc. When was that? Day. Do you know? When was the first Horus Heresy book released? And when did they start thinking about that as a game? Well, like the game is much later. The game is the, the pro- yeah, it's probably early 2000s. That's before my time. Lavelle, do you have a, do you have a recollection of that? When they Not at all. Pushing? Nope. It's been around for quite a while. Oh, great elder. Do you recollect? In the aforetime, <laughs> when the elders gathered in the great circle of the heresy. At the great game shop known as. So let's, let's come back to something about the blood angels. The sanguinor is not a person. The sanguinor, please, all of our listeners, don't get upset. Just hear me out. Is really like a chaos demon. Just well. li- hold on, hold on, hear me out. <laughs> just like Celestine. I'm uncomfortable with a couple of things you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to suggest we, we pause for a moment. <laughs> so the Sanguinor, like Celestine, appears when things are at their worst. Uh-huh. Out of where? I can't say exactly where from. <laughs> 
I believe it's from a flask that someone carries on their okay, side. Okay, and they, they rub it in real fast. Like a jam. <laughs> <laughs> from the bottle. And out comes the sanguinoid. So I have been reading a lot of lore and opinion that says the emperor has really, because, you know, chaos is an amalgamation of emotions and almost beliefs on our side. And that's why the emperor wanted to do away with anything that wasn't scientific. And he was like, hey, faith actually leads to this because it channels the energy into the warp and then they coalesce into something. And so the emperor, they were saying, is now, and this is going to sound strange, but just this is a different use of words here. He's like a chaos god of order. And his chaos demons are examples of that are Celestine. The Sanguinor, and what do they call the uh, those guys in black and wreathed in flames that show up? Oh, the damned. The damned. That's right. And so that's what they were saying. And I just have to say something. It was one hundred percent clear to Grayfax when she first <laughs> laid eyes on Celestine. Hey, is nobody doing anything about this chaos demon here? That's right. That, yeah, that was another really good side arc to the Gathering Storm books. Was the Grayfax was having none of it, <laughs> right, <laughs> until the last several minutes. Right. <laughs> So, you know, that's just an interesting thing there. So there, there are th- in, on in the imperial side, there are three manifestations that they cannot explain. The first, Celestine, Sanguinor, yeah. and the Damned. I like the connection you're drawing there between those three things. I'm interested in thinking them as the chaos god of order. Which is which? Which which I like. I like the notion that the uh, that the emperor is another one of the chaos god pantheon that is right around us. And, and, and what's creating what's created him over there has been this focused faith mm-hmm. in the constant feeding of psychics psychers into this idea. I'm just putting that out there as a Necron yes. player. I can. <laughs> Right. As a Necron player, we told you guys from the beginning, don't mess with that. Yep. The Necrons roll the dirt. They, get, they, yourself they a, get yourself a decent star guy, break him into shatters, shatter pieces, <laughs> and that's all you need. Yeah, that's all you need. <laughs> with that, we will wrap up future history. We will come right back with From the Stacks. Stay tuned. Welcome back, section four from the stacks. So excited. I'm going to start this episode's from the stacks off with a quote that I think is very timely given our pandemic circumstances here on the 22nd of March 2020. The quote is this, and then we'll dive into talking about the story. The Tyranids, aka coronavirus, are a <laughs> scourge upon the stars, a virus writ large. But like any virus, it must be studied if a cure is to be found. Now, based on that quote, who do you think would have said that? What kind of a character says something like, but like any virus, it must be studied if a cure is to be found? Adeptus Mechanicus. <laughs> Damn right. A Magos biologi- biologist, biologist said, like any virus, it must be studied if a cure is to be found. And guess who they're sending in to get the thing he's trying to study? 
Space Marines. You bet he did. He sent in some blood angels. This story is called Heart of Rage by James Swallow. This is another one from that short story book we've been pulling from called Victories of the Space Marines that Carlo found and we've been enjoying. This I, I think this one is my favorite one so far that we've encountered. Yeah, I, I like the writing in, in this one. Like it doesn't uh, a lot of 40k books I feel like can get really cheesy sounding, but there's no like bolter porn in this. There's no like monotonous um yeah, kind of let me let me talk about two things. And I, I, two I agree, things. Carlo. This one, this one felt like extra in, intense and not like overwrought with like how beautiful the Space Marines are and how many shots <laughs> they're shooting. You know, <laughs> sorry. I, Paul, have a, I have a question. <clears throat> I after I read the story, as I was reading it, it seemed like the Mechanicum character was a psyker. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I didn't know the Mechanicum had any psychers. Oh yeah, from Riza. Really? Yeah, the Forge World of Riza is the psychic, uh, not friendly, but psychic aware or at least psychic conscious Forge World. I think I have that right. It's Riza, isn't it? Isn't that how it plays out in the rules? Where's my? I don't have my Admech Codex up here. I never play Riza, but I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Riza. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. No, I, no they I, didn't. He didn't ex- explicitly say in the story that he's from the Forge World of Riza, but at least uh, there's a precedent in the rules for a psychic, uh, psychically attuned. Um, uh, Admech Forge World, yeah, and, and that would be like in the fluff page or in the rules that they give them. In the rules, yeah, that's that's the one that can do um, uh, that can deny psychic tests. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. The the other thing is, you know, I was reading the story when they said, okay, we're going to be able to search faster if we split up. Oh, right. <laughs> that, <laughs> that never goes well. You go this way, we'll go that way. So I'm the like, story. <laughs> they not even read any D and D books. <laughs> so this one starts off with a a blood angels chaplain in their sanctuary on their battle cruiser, uh, praying to the God Emperor. Uh, his close buddy, who is a war-hardened uh, combat veteran, comes in behind him. They're, they have a quick chat um, about where they're headed, what they're doing. Uh, you know, James Swallow keeps it kind of in mystery until they get to the bridge of their ship, where they meet sort of their, um, I guess, what's a good word for their relationship? It's this, this, this Magos biologist who's leading them to, this, to whatever destination they're headed towards. And they don't know what exactly they're headed towards. It's been shrouded in secrecy, of course. But the Magos assures them this is all in service to the God Emperor and Omnissiah. So all's right with the world. They pull up to this asteroid. The asteroid turns and apparently reveals behind it a quote-unquote dead, tyrannid yeah. hive ship. A dead Tyranid, uh, what's the word? Um, I, I had it written down here. Uh, it, I, I think you're right, hive right, ship. Hive like a hive ship. ship, right, like one of the yeah. big ones, right? Sure. So these guys are like, all right, what are we doing here? And the human captain of the ship that they're on, the battle cruiser captain, is like, hell no, I want nothing to do with this. Let's cyclonic torpedo the thing off the face of the universe and be done with it. But the Magos is like, no, this is imperative that we study this thing. They are a scourge upon the stars, etc., and so on, talking about coronavirus creeping across New Jersey and Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the, the Magos, they're on the bridge of the battlecruiser now, and the Magos said, you know, we had sent a team here before. We had lost contact with them. I assure you this hive ship is dead. 
let's go over there. Let's find my recently maybe departed compatriots who might be aboard the ship. Let's gather some information that will benefit the Imperium in the long run. Imagine the possibilities, he says. And anytime a scientist in the 41st millennium says, imagine the possibilities as his eyes twinkling, you know he needs to get a bolter in the face, right? So, so they go over to this ship. They bring over the Codicer, which is the uh, Blood Angels um, librarian character. Couple of space marines and his buddy, the the war hardened grizzled veteran, and you know, you guess what happens? You you know what? Let's say this. You know, I like when he said, um, "You know, I think I should shoot this guy right now." He <laughs> said, "I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to the bridge, and yeah. I want you to come with me in case I, I feel the urge to shoot him." He he's said, like, "Well, he's I'm like, not going to stop you." He said, yeah, "I'm he's not like, going to stop me. I'm looking <laughs> you to help me." <laughs> There was there, there was some very straightforward like this Magos is crazy kind of talk between the Blood Angels, which was cool. Um, I have a note here in the show notes. There was some rough language in this this one too, and no cursing, but a little bit like harsher description of things. Right, like he says, "I have seen the Tyranids rape worlds," and James Swallow describes this as a Xenos abortion. This this thing <laughs> on the show. So I thought I was like, "Ooh, James, getting a little." you know getting a little tough with the language there and then these two um blood angels are like yeah we need to jack this tech marine up and get uh, this uh um tech magos biologist up and get out of here but they go to the they go to the um the hive ship a real aliens type of situation is encountered right where they're you know checking out the creepy hallways they're seeing the pustules the illuminated mm-hmm. like half dead beetle things that are still providing light somehow in the hallways of this hive ship but they they were seeing some movement there was some movement yeah, it's time to leave. Yeah, like everything was sleeping, Boop. right? Yeah, it's all asleep. <laughs> right, it's all asleep. I did like the descriptions of the interior of the hive ship. I thought that was kind of cool how they did show the biomass pools and um, random sleeping. Um, Carnifexes. You know, car- I like how he described it. It was like uh, he says the glow picked out of the hulking shape of the massive Carnifex, its bullet-shaped head tucked into its spiny chest and some mad parody of a sleeping child. Like, <laughs> great. Yeah, you know, there, was, there was some cool things in there. The, the other thing is when they got there, you know, they described the one guy with the flamer, and I'm like, why doesn't all you guys have flamers? Yeah. And then when the warriors jumped out at them, they, they hit it with the flamer, but it's still coming. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, I guess it's not as effective as I thought. <laughs> Plasma cutters or something yeah <laughs> so, so so they find their way to the um the hive tyrant this these the psyker the codicer in their midst is is kind of attuned to this this vast black psychic presence this vast source of dark psychicness in the ship and they find their way there and um you know guess what the formerly imperially aligned tech magos biologist they thought was lost inside the ship has mind melded with the hive tyrant, very much like some of those creepy scenes from one of the alien movies where the, uh, you know, sort of the mother, the mother queen alien has somebody like spiked through the back and they're kind of just like hanging out there in front of it. Right. So this um, hive tyrant has basically taken over this Magos or has the Magos taken over the hive tyrant. We don't know. We don't care. We clearly know this thing needs to get a bolter to the face. And that is what ensues. Unfortunately, the the squad of space marines of blood angels who went down corridor B didn't fare well. The codicer and his buddy who went down corridor A fared slightly better. He did his buddy did suffer the black rage. No, his blood his buddy did suffer the red thirst. 
I think both. Both? Almost. But okay. he somehow, like, you're not supposed to be able to return from the Black Rage. Yeah. Well, a shake right? to the heart but probably helps. The, yep, yeah, he probably, yeah. <laughs> he did stab him square but, through the chest with his combat knife to basically save his life, which he did. Because, Sorry, well, because, like, so the reason how he got there is because the uh, Hive Tyrant let out, like, a psychic uh, shriek, right? Or right. something like right, that. Right, right. Exactly. And it, it dropped his mental barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he didn't have, like, a psychic barrier, but it, it took away his control completely. So I think it did make him succumb to the black rage uh, yeah so keep well, on let, going but let me ask this question though it's toughest what's the hive tyrant what's the hive tyrant controlling the magos making him think that he was in control or was the magos i, I couldn't get that because I, I got the feeling that it was really the hive tyrant who was calling the shots right yeah because i mean it did describe the magos like he was a puppet on uh strings right so i think it was as the inference. Okay. I'll go there with you. You said I'll try that. So, so the codicer stabs his buddy in the chest to save him from the, uh, the perils of the black rage and to save his own ass, frankly, because he was about to go, you know, seriously bananas on the codicer. His buddy was stabs him in the chest, puts him back on the boarding torpedo says, peace out. I got this. Pulls out like a, like a, a plasma bomb fusion bomb from his little belt pack, which I've always wondered what was in the little belt packs on the Space Marine sprues, you know, and apparently it's a serious bomb. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but he, he did get it out of the uh, out of the weapons locker. Oh, I missed right, that part. and then oh, he put that right. He, yeah, he got it out of the weapons locker, and it, when the and that's when the guy with the knife in his heart said, "Hey, wait, wait, what are you doing with that?" He said, "It'd be ah, cool." Right. Okay. You're right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it's funny because he ran. He like had the gauntlet, like go through the gauntlet all the way back to the pod. Right, and he was just shooting with his bolter and running with the guy on his back. Right, puts him on there, sends him out. He's like, his buddy's like, "No, you can't, you can't do it." No, and he's like, "You gotta go. I gotta stay." And he hits the thing and shoots I'm him sorry, off, right? I'm sorry, Carlo. What did he say? I, I missed that. Say it one more time. He said, "You gotta go, and I gotta stay." <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. So he's he, like Bruce. I think Bruce Willis probably would have played the Codicer, right? Mm, yeah, I don't know, maybe. That's good. That's good. That's good. Like early '90s Bruce Willis character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me good. say this: did, for a short story, it really did have the flavor of a 40k story. It really, it really does that well. Yeah. Some of these books and these short stories, they really capture the flavor of being in the 40k universe. And when you play the game, if you just play the game, it seems one-dimensional. Mm. But it, it did a really good job. Yeah, yeah. James Swallow's been at it for a while. He's written a, go- a bunch of good novels, and I think this is a another example of his fine skills. Um, so the, uh, the 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 other brother gets back to the ship, the uh, battle cruiser that they came from. The codicer clearly detonates the fusion bomb in his pocket, and like the hive, the, the whole hive ship is gone. And naturally, we get a we get a nice moment at the end where our man who gets back to the ship uh, handles the Tech Magos biologist who sent them on this fool's errand in the first place and tears his head off. Basically, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. It's hard to study without a head. I say <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that wouldn't work on my man. Um, uh, who's the big guy? Call. Call, yeah, because mm. he's got so many personalities and bodies yes, running around. That's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, he's a decent dude. 
So, so this was a good one. Um, we're going to, uh, we'll, we'll have another short story to review for the next uh, podcast, which should be, we'll do sooner rather than later, because we're on a roll here in this coronavirus uh, 2020 little shelter in place period. Um, I've been enjoying these. This one I think was the best one so far. It was the most exciting. I felt like I, it was the most, the, the most page turning kind of one I think that we'd encountered. You know, I found myself flipping forward like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. What happens? What happens? What happens? And then at the end. And then you're at the end. Yeah, but it was a nice, nice quick read. I, I dug it. What did you think, Carlo? I enjoyed it as well. Um, I was kind of, I, I think the problem I have with short stories is when I read, I have, I need kind of like a few. There's almost like a chapter in the story, like a buffer chapter, where I almost have to reread it because I can't get into the story right away. Like my mind just can't start thinking creatively and imagining things until mm-hmm. I'm a couple pages in. You know, I think with short stories, it's even harder because the story is only a few pages to begin with. Hmm. So I need to reread things over and over. Right. So but I did in, like I had to reread, I think, the first couple pages and then I finally got into it and it's really enjoyable story hmm. from there. But So in the past two years, uh, before two years ago, I really didn't read a lot of 40K uh, fiction in the past two years. I've really ramped it up and. You know, this, as soon as I start reading, I hear the water dripping. I hear the clash of the Space Marines boots. Mm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. Let us go. So I thought it was pretty good. Um, most of the short stories that I've actually engaged in have been in audio dramas, mm. um, which are a little different. An audio drama can be, and I've just discovered this in the last one I, I listened to, which was a Gray Facts Celestine one. It can be a little distracting because they add the noise in. And it distracts you from the story um, as opposed to just a true reading. This is the one that I actually read. And it was, uh, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. Yeah. Awesome. Do you prefer, what do you prefer, Lavelle, an audio book or an audio drama? I, I've um, discovered I prefer an audio book. Audio book. Yeah. Audio book. Because mm-hmm. an audio book, it, lets, it, it doesn't add a bunch of stuff that detracts. Even some of the audio books I read, there, are, there is some timed music. And sometimes there is uh, a little bit of um, sound effects, but an audio drama just plays everything out. It's so much bolter fire, flamers, and all, you know, and that's, that's detracting from things. Mm-hmm. I, I, I prefer audio book. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, the, the, the only exposure I have to that stuff is um, I have the, uh, the Garrow series of audio dramas from the Heresy. Nathaniel? Yeah, all about Nate. <laughs> Nate. <laughs> the good death guard. Um I uh which I enjoyed. I recently bought the um do I have it up here? I don't know if I have it up here. Um it was for Age of Sigmar, or at least uh the Warhammer Fantasy Battle uh, world. Um Gotrek, I think it's called. It's about a dwarf king or something, but it was the scripts to the audio drama, which I thought would be interesting to read, you know, with my production work and everything, I'd like to see how they lay out an audio drama script. Um, and they just released, I just saw it yesterday. There's a Ragnar Blackmane audio drama series coming out, which I would like hmm. to read, but I have very little exposure to audiobooks and uh, other than the Garrow ones, the audio dramas, I enjoyed the Garrow ones. They were a little over the top at times. It was, you know, definitely like, I have trouble sometimes because I hear, you know, when you're reading something, you hear a certain voice in your head and then you hear somebody else's voice in place of that thing. And you're like, oh, no, that's not what I was hearing. This is going to work for me. You know, I felt that way about Garrow because I had read the books first and then I heard whoever was playing the part of Garrow reading and that like heavy, 
I mean, they all have English accents in my head, I guess, but in his accent. <laughs> yeah, I think it bothers me more when they actually hire voice actors to play each individual character than listening to, um, what's that guy's name that does all the audiobooks? Toby? Uh, no, Toby. no. Yeah, Toby Longworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd rather him do like a, a voice for Betancourt than them actually hire interesting you know hmm, interesting. somebody to do voice for you, you know what I mean? listen whenever you mention the emperor i hear his voice going awaken Ra," because that's the master of mankind <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. i'm like oh yeah the emperor said that <laughs> cool we hope you enjoyed that section of from the stacks we'll be back shortly to wait this episode. tim yo tim before we leave i've got the codex right here hmm. i'm not seeing anything psychic and the um the Mechanicum Codex. Yeah. Riser, their ability is to reroll fell wounds of one. Um, in the fight phase. Uh, there's Riser, there's Mars, there's um, Stygies. Look up Stygies. Might be Stygies. Sorry. Uh, Stygies. Your opponent must subtract one from the hit rolls when shooting at units that are far away. Keep going. So, um, okay, let's go. Let me go down there. Uh, Greya is Gaia, rolling. That's it, Every, roll a d6 each time a model with this dogma is slain or flees. On a six, the, the model refuses to yield. Either wound that stood it is ignored or the model does not flee. However, units with this dogma cannot fall back. Metallica is affecting rapid fire. Lucius is whenever I make a savings throw and the dogma treats enemy attack, you take uh, armor AP of minus one to zero. And Agrippinia, when you fire Overwatch. So look, kind of see what see what you can find. I'm really really yeah. interested. Further back in the in the codex, they have that section where they talk about um, the different um, which aren't or don't necessarily get their own uh, doctrine or anything. There's Mars. There's Lucius. Um, and I, there's a Agrippina, which does. There's Stygies. There's Gria. There's Metallica. They they they're a band. No, I'm only joking. Uh, okay, hold on. Someone actually asked a question based on this short story, Heart of Rage. Hmm, okay. That's funny. <laughs> hold on, go ahead. Keep going, Lavelle. But it's um, a, it's, it's, you know what, Lavelle, Lavelle it's, it's a stratagem for Gria. Is that what it is? Yeah, look, uh, look up, look under stratagems. I'm, I don't have the book in front of me. But I got I just, it in front of me. Strategy. It's a Gria stratagem. Yeah, look it up. Give me a second. Metallica, Rises, Digis. Lucius, Agrippin, Gria, still mine, Iron Logic. Use the stratagem when an enemy psycho manifests a psychic power within 24 inches. But it says here, this is the, the flavor text, even the vile energy surges of the warps will be quieted by the faith and undeniable logic that emanates from the pure devotees of Gria. So it's so, Gria, yeah. So read yeah. the stratagem, yeah. That, oh, it, oh, I thought I read it, sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, still, it says that's what it says. It says, um, use the strategy when an enemy psyker manifests of psychic power within 24 inches of one or more of your Gryah infantry units. Roll a d6 on a four plus that psychic power is resisted and its effects are negated. That's pretty damn powerful, yeah, because it's from any infantry model, yeah. So, does that mean that uh, that oh, yeah. okay, never mind? No, we're good. So, so so does that mean that counts as your cast, right? So you can't attempt to cast it again, right? Yes, because yeah. you still yeah. cast it. You have to yeah. be successful, and then they resist it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, hold on a second. There was something else in my quick scout that I, I was not aware of. Deimos, the gift of the sigilite. It's a surge, it's a forge world dedicated to the Grey Knights. It's on twenty page twenty-two of the um of the codex. Oh. Yeah. It says upon the inceptions of the Grey Knights, the secret chapter of Space Marines tasked with direct directly combating, blah blah. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was recognized that they would need their own forge world. Using arcane technologies, Deimos, one of the heavily industrialized moons of Mars, holy crap was stolen out of its orbit and secretly <laughs> above Titan, the shrouded homeworld of the Grey Knights. Since that time, the weapons required by the Emperor's Daemon Hunters have been produced by this man by the manufacturers of Deimos. By the manufact by the manufactorums of Deimos. So all their armaments, each item receives its psychic wards atop the blessings of the Omnisire to ensure protections against demonic tape. There you go. Awesome. That's hot. Mm -hmm. Deimos. Listen to this. The handover of Deimos Forge Worker is carried out by specially debilitated servitors whose scant minds have circuitry, whose scant minds and circuitry are scrubbed clear after each transaction. (laughs) Where am I? Where am I? How did I get here? Did I do a good job? Where am I? How did I get here? Did I do a good job? Sucks to be them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> did I just have breakfast? Do I need another coffee? <laughs> Listen to this, which I did not know. This is all the the Deimos, the Deimos Forge World dedicated to the um, Grey Knights. The Knights. Yeah. It also says here, additionally, no fewer than three nightly houses are permanently stationed upon Deimos, including House Steel, whose vows of silence and service to the Adeptus Mechanicus have lasted since the Great Crusade. Mm. That's nice. I I'm might have that. to work with that. I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot for looking that up in the codex. It is Grya okay. that has the stratagem to deny on a four up from any Grya infantry model. That's really powerful. I like that. Because they're so reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're like, magic doesn't exist. Nah. Come on. <laughs> Come on, son. <laughs> we we deny what we see in front of our eyes. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the come on, son, spit stratagem. <laughs> I won't even believe it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. We will take a quick break. We'll come back and wrap up this show. Stay with us. Section five, the chosen, and then we are out of here. So yesterday, which was March 21st, 2020, I went over to New Jersey to Triple A Hobbies, which is the retail storefront for mega hobbies. And no listeners, that is not my super secret hobby store, but it is a hobby store in Jersey that I like. Um, Unless so- he's just trying to divert your attention away from it. <laughs> Everybody go to that store right away. <laughs> So, so we went over to Jersey to get some supplies for the, uh, you know, the the impending doom that is before us. Um, and I stopped into AAA Hobbies, and I had picked up a few weeks ago these AK Interactive, which is a modeling supply company that I really do like. They uh, released these weathering pencils, and what they are is basically um, in art supply stores you can buy oil pastel colored pencils, but it's a very waxy 
colored pencil, right? So AK has done this in such a way that you can, you, you dip the, and they make all kinds of colors. They make metallics, they make rust colors, they make all manner of chipping colors. It's really a nice system they have set up. And they're about two bucks, just over two bucks each. You dip the tip of the colored pencil in water and you can draw lines or put little pools of rust on the model. Then you go back in with a slightly damp brush and like do the streaking and do the weathering and feather it in, like do some really nice blending because you're basically wet blending on the model at that point, right? Based on these little pools of paint that you've put down with the pencil. And it's a wonderful consistency. You can sharpen them to get really fine, almost like a, like pin, a pin lining uh, kind of stuff like you would in a Gundam model. Uh, but they're really, really slick. So I bought, uh, I got a metallics pack. I got a basic colors pack. And, and yesterday, right before they, a couple hours before they closed rather, I picked up, they have a light rust, a dark rust, a medium rust, and my favorite color in the world, uh, sepia, sepia, um, which is basically just the color of aging metal. I put that on all my metallics just to give it a little less metallic-y shine, you know. Uh, so that, that is my item for the Chosen, are these AK interactive weathering pencils. Totally so, really worth playing with. So, Tim, I need to understand this. We're in a, uh, a, a shelter-in-place situation, and you say, okay, I need the basics. I need food, toilet paper, hand sanitizers, weathering paints. <laughs> is, that, is that how it went down? That is, that is accurate, Lavelle. That is accurate. Yeah. I also I got approve. A- <laughs> I approve. So, so, so where I paint and, and build all my stuff is not in my house. So it's, I've been bringing some basic hobby supplies home so that in case we really are on a state of martial law and lockdown, I can work on stuff. I didn't bring home my airbrushing setup. So I bought a, a can of chaos black primer because I have like 3000 points of orcs unbuilt sitting on my dining room table. So I can build these orcs this week if we're really stuck in the house and then at least prime them. And I'm spending way too much time with these weathering pencils on my, um, uh, kill team rogue trader stuff all the train for the the top of that board they give you with rogue trader i just got obsessed with weathering the doors they give you these really great little door models that i've been like spending hours and hours on for no good reason whatsoever so that's my selection for the chosen ak interactive weathering pencils get them while you still can ladies and gentlemen carlo what do you have for us i don't know if i had mentioned it already but i picked up um <clears throat> a few uh cyclic ion blaster uh custom printed weapons of, like a, a few weeks ago for my tau because they're really hard to find in the box you get like one per each commander box so and you know crises can take them commanders could take them you could take up to four on a commander up to three on a crisis suit so you need a lot of them if you're going to run them um and i went on shapeways and i had ordered some through shapeways and I had gotten the um there's two levels of plastic you can get I think it's the super the smooth and then the super smooth detailed plastic and I got the super smooth because I I've heard that you want to go with that otherwise you end up with a lot of those lines because the stuff is 3d printed but uh you can get them the ones I got you could pick the magnet size if you want a pre a pre-drilled or pre-cast hole in the weapon for the magnets you're going to put in you can choose that option and i got that so i got 20 of those with the holes in them already i think it was about 60 bucks but you know it's a little expensive for weapons but um you know you can't really it's better than going out and buying 50 or uh you know 
20 boxes of commanders to try and <laughs> make that happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or so, spending the time trying to hunt them down on eBay or something. That's great. Right. Right. Exactly. So Good was, and, and, and you're happy with the quality. Yeah. I'm really happy with them. So I I've primed them all black. I put the magnets in and I've primed them all black. So I haven't gotten a chance to paint any of them yet, but hopefully during this, uh, I'm, I'm also still working, so I'm not quarantined yet. I'm, mm. I work at a, a life sustaining business. Um, but, um, Hopefully, I'll also have some time to paint during this quarantine, you know. And uh, also, yesterday, a, a second thing is uh, Monica had made us uh, martinis and called them quarantinis. Nice. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's our pick. <laughs> you know, I, I have, um, and one of the things that I'm doing, one of the brokers is in Texas, and they have a quarantine in place there, but the governor just ruled. In Texas, this happened uh, last week that they could deliver restaurants could deliver cocktails. Oh wow! <laughs> so, so yeah, I like a martini on our way, sir. <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. <laughs> Lavelle, what do you have for us? So um, I got involved with a Kickstarter. Um, I do not have this product yet, but I'm interested. I sent it around to you guys for something called Level Up. And what Level Up does, it allows you to raise the table. You put it on top of a table. And so it raises the table so you have space for your miniatures or play things underneath it. But this is why I got it, and I thought it was interesting. I have to make sure it really works. So if you have a table that's not six by four, let's just call your table uh, two by whatever, it can raise it and go out. So you can turn any table into a six by four space and still have that space underneath it. Um, I'm, I'm waiting to see what the final product looks like, but I was really excited. I happen to have in my, um, because I'm a smart guy, when my wife and I went shopping for a breakfast room table, I said, why don't we get one of those high tables with a stool? And she said, yes. And when I got there, I measured it out and I said, listen. I need four by four to play my little game. So I measured out. So it's a little <laughs> bit of edge. But this gives you even more space to kind of, you can take a normal dining room table that might not be six by four and do two things. Change it into six by four, but preserve space underneath for deep striking models, models and dice that you put underneath it. So I'm really, really excited about level up. Mm. Um it was a Kickstarter. I did get in the Kickstarter. I'm sure they're going to go probably not retail mail order. So when I get it, because they just said the molds just went out. When I get it, I'm going to report on the quality of it. But I, I like that opportunity because sometimes um, I like to go places and play a game where they, where my, the people who want to play might be, but they might not have the space. Mm -hmm. I've done a, a couple of, um, in the past, I've done a couple of, hey, I'm stuck in a house. <clears throat> Maybe I'm working from home. Can we get a game in? <clears throat> so this, this, I'm hoping this product is portable enough and that it, it, it adds that functionality. Good call. We look forward to seeing how that works out. Yeah. So I'm looking at it now. It looks pretty interesting. Like the pieces break apart so you could store it. And the they kind of like fit together like a puzzle piece almost. Right. So one of the things about it is also um, when you go to build it, you can you could buy it at different sizes, four by four, and you can get more middle pieces to make it longer. So it, it looks like it has a bunch of uh, of uh, of uh, ways that you can expand it to the table size that you need. 
But, you know, I, I'm going to have to, you know, this, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm still going to have to check it out, check the quality. And, um, this, and the big thing for me, the stability. So it looks like the Kickstarter gives you, like, you're not getting a level up table. You're getting discounts on a level up t- table. Does that sound right? Mm. From what I'm reading? First of all, if that is, I'm flipping the table right now. <laughs> I'm flipping the regular table right now. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, um, I I got the view my pledge. I got no. I'm getting two canvas carrying bags and two level ups. And okay, never mind. I see they they count it as like it says save forty percent, and I'm thinking that's a discount, but it's actually like you're getting this for this value. This is how much you're saving right. by. Mm. Okay, so the the reason I got two is uh, there was something in the process that let me know that one will create a four by four and two, I believe will create a six by four with some extra space. And that gets just two carrying bags. And I, you know, I'm, I'm lousy at conversion without a calculator. It was 96 pounds. Hmm. Yeah. That's a pound. That's a good deal. Jeez. Yeah. But I'm going it, to, it's a good deal. But so the sizes are three by two, three by three or four by four. Hmm. And so there was something about the, uh, the way that I ordered it so that I knew I would get a, at least a six by four table. <clears throat> it's a good deal if it works mm-hmm. and it has the stability. If it's all rickety and if you bump it, everything, well, no, that's not going to work. But I, I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think um, the way that it looks, I'm imagining you're going to need to put some additional supports under it. I don't think it's going to be a big deal, but I think the legs that they have built in, I think it's going to cause some ricketiness, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know that. Um, I, I'm going to have to see how the legs go in. So I'll have to see. Well, they do have cat. They got a picture with cats on top of it. So that's pretty good. Cat approved. Is that cat's <laughs> a movie? No, I'm on <laughs> <laughs> And and the height is uh, six inches. It gives you mm-hmm. additional six inches. And you see how if you if you go in it, it's ta- it's got the pictures with the um, how the legs go in. I'm gonna need to see all of that in action. Mm-hmm. They have a video of it. Yeah, yeah, and there, it looks like there's a bunch of different spots. Like they have multiple inserts under each piece where you can move the legs around. So if you oh, yeah, need to yeah, yeah. distribute the support in a different area. So I'm cool. going to see how it goes. I'm going to see. I'll, I'll keep our listeners posted as I, as it, when it arrives and it probably, you know, kickstart it probably won't arrive until next year. Yeah. So every day I look out my front door, see, is it here yet? No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Cool. With that, we will conclude episode 31 of Crew Shake. And thank you for listening, everybody. We hope you are safe and sound in weathering this coronavirus storm as well as possible. For Crew Shake, and I have been Tim. I'm Lavelle. And I'm Carla. Thanks for listening. 